But we saw after Parkland something we maybe haven't seen before in terms of the young students, uh, potential young voters really mobilizing. Is that going to translate at the polls? Are young students going to become young voters and speak you know, on this issue? I went out. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content. More conversation coming up after this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. As a nation, we mourn with those who mourn, and we grieve with those who grieve. Vice President Pence offering condolences to the victims of Friday's school shooting in Texas during his visit here to Indiana on Friday. The vice president here in Indianapolis also visited the Stout Army Airfield, meeting with members of the Indiana National Guard to thank them for their service, and made a stop at IMS ahead of next weekend's Indy 500. But Friday's visit here to Indy also included a tax rally and a fundraiser for Senate candidate Mike Braun. Still more proof the Indiana Senate race is one of the most important in the country this year. Our Trevor Shirley has more. This is now the vice president's third trip to Indiana over the past few weeks. You'll recall he was here in April for that big Infosys announcement we had. Then last week he was up in Elkhart with President Trump for that campaign style rally. His focus during this week's visit is pushing the administration's tax reform policy, but the undercurrent to all this was still looking ahead to those midterm elections. When the time came to cut your taxes, Joe voted no. When the time came to give Indiana job creators the tax relief they need to create more good-paying jobs here in the Hoosier State, Joe voted no. After this event wrapped up, the vice president also hosted a private fundraiser here in Indianapolis, raising money for several GOP candidates, in particular Senate GOP candidate Mike Braun. Reporting downtown, I'm Trevor Shirley for In Focus. Trevor, thanks. And on that Senate race, there's a new poll out this week showing it could be a pretty tight race. In fact, it's a virtual tie. Mike Braun with a one-point lead in that poll from Gravis Marketing. We'll dive into those numbers a little later. I also spoke this past week with Senator Donnelly about his opponent and about his vote to confirm the new director of the CIA. Was this a difficult choice? Well, it, it was a difficult choice because obviously she's not a perfect choice, um, but she's the choice before us. And so I have to look at the body of work. Gina Haspel has been a servant to this country for over 30 years. She's been with the CIA for over 30 years from one end of the, the world to the other, serving in some of the most difficult spots. People from both the Bush and Obama administration, bipartisan, that said, look, we think that she should be confirmed. Um, I had a really tough, frank discussion with her about the enhanced interrogation that took place in years past. And, um, you know, I feel confident that the CIA will, will do what's right. I feel confident that they will um, continue to work nonstop. And this is about making sure we never have another 9-11 and that we work every day and try to pick up every clue and keep every family in Indiana and our country safe. And that's why I support her. Before you announced your decision, your opponent this fall, Mike Braun, said you were, quote, playing the political game and, and called you a politician who, in his words, was constantly trying to evaluate if a decision is right for re-election. Was that the case at all here? What's your response to that? Well, it, it tells you that he basically doesn't have the slightest idea what he's talking about. What you do is you review the facts, you review the information that comes before you. Um, the vote before that one was the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. Next week, we have a banking bill going forward 
that took leadership that I helped provide to make sure we could help our small community banks and credit unions. Ask any of them, they'll tell you what a leader I've been. Next week, we have right to try legislation that'll help families all over our state who are on difficult, uh, in difficult medical circumstances who'll now be able to get medications they might never have gotten before. And I was the key person on the Democrat side to make sure we could get that done. It's about leadership, it's about getting things done. You know what, when I tell people I'm gonna run, I work, I run hard, I do my job. Mike Braun walked out in the middle of his second term and quit on the people of Indiana. And so I think that's a big difference. This week, it marks one year since the special counsel's investigation began. Are you satisfied with how all of this has been handled by Mueller's office and by the president? And do you think the president should sit down with Robert Mueller? Well, I think that, you know, the president's going to make that decision on his own. Um, Robert Mueller was appointed as special prosecutor uh, by the administration. He is doing his job. He is following the information where it goes. If at the end of this, there's no evidence of anything, he'll, he'll uh, come to that conclusion. If there is evidence, then he'll take further action. But um, these investigations, uh, they tend to take um, some time. The investigation is following wherever the facts lead, and, and that's what it should be. It shouldn't be a Democrat or Republican investigation. It should be an investigation determined by the facts. Senator Joe Donnelly, thank you so much for taking some time with us today. We appreciate it. Thanks for the privilege. All right, and we've got more of that interview on our website, including what Donnelly and President Trump had to say about a fallen officer from Indiana, Lieutenant Aaron Allen, who was honored at National Police Week in D.C. Allen will live in our hearts forever. Lieutenant Allen's family was there as well for an emotional week in Washington. And again, we have much more for you on our website. Up next, the latest from the State House: a special session, a new caucus leader, and could we soon see legalized sports gambling in Indiana? Not so fast. We'll talk about some of the hurdles and what lawmakers are looking into now. And the debate over a needle exchange program here in Marion County. We'll hear from the county health director and the state's attorney general coming up. All right, let's bring in our panel right now. Tim Swearens is a columnist with our partners at the Indy Star. Elise Schrock is former communications director for the Indiana Senate Democrats. Conservative blogger and radio host Abdul Hakim Shabazz is also the editor of IndyPolitics.org. And Adam Wren is a contributor at Indianapolis Monthly and Politico and author of the brand new Importantville newsletter on Indiana politics. Obviously, a lot of uh, important news to cover this week. So let's get started with the VP coming here for a rally, but also to raise money for Mike Braun. How crucial do you think that kind of help will be for a candidate like Braun this year? Well, it's obviously very helpful for a, a still new candidate to, to a lot of Hoosiers to have the vice president in town speaking well of him and raising money. How do Democrats uh, look at this? Braun getting support from the vice president. Also, he was in D.C. Uh, this past week getting support you know, from Republicans in Washington. It's a little ironic after all of his anti establishment chatter during the primaries that the first thing he does is run to DC for funding and I guess see what the playbook's gonna look like. Um, I think it's pretty natural for the vice president obviously to be raising money for him but um, yeah I think it is a, a little ironic that that was his first move. And that is actually gonna be the sort of the I won't necessarily say a danger right now but sort of the tricky part for Mike Braun to navigate since he's branded himself 
as such an outsider draining the swamp uh, to have to go to DC and you know get money from you know the millions of dollars you're going to need to run this race because Mike has no intention of using his own money in the general election, so you got to get it from somewhere. So it's going to be some tricky waters for him to navigate going forward to the general election. And this is no doubt going to be one of the Senate races, if not the one at the top of the list that Republicans are going to keep an eye on this year. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Uh, Mitch McConnell just told the Washington Post this week that Indiana was one of the nine states that are really going to determine um, how the Senate goes in the fall. All right, let's look at some of these polling numbers out this past week. Again, the headline we mentioned earlier was brawn up by one point in that Gravis poll over Joe Donnelly, but some other interesting numbers there too. 41% of Hoosiers approve of Donnelly's job performance, 40% do not, 20% still uncertain. Hoosiers are also split on the president when it comes to job performance, 47-47, but, but then when you look at the question of do you have a favorable or unfavorable opinion of the president, it's 44-51 here in Indiana with nearly 40% saying they had a strongly unfavorable view of the president despite uh, the even numbers you just saw on the issue of job performance. What do you take from these numbers, Tim, on where Indiana is politically in 2018 and what that'll mean for the Senate race? You know, there are a lot of conservatives who say, I like what Donald Trump is doing. I don't like what he says. And I think that's reflected in those numbers. There are people who, who like his policies and in the general direction of the administration, very uncomfortable with how he expresses himself. Are Democrats concerned seeing Donnelly down a point here this early on? I don't think so. I think this is going to be close into the finish. I mean, you, you know, reference it being in the top nine. We think it's even, um, even higher on the that. list sure. for people. So, yeah. uh, especially people in D.C. watching this race. So, um, I think we've got a long way to go. We'll make up that point and beyond. Um, so we're not too worried. I do think it's interesting with this poll, though. Um, if you look, most of the people had had said that they voted for uh, President Trump. So then, when you look at these numbers, and it's showing they have an unfavorable opinion, unfavorable opinion of kind of how he is overall. I thought that was really interesting because Hoosiers overwhelmingly went for him, but we're going to have to see what the referendum is at this midterm on how he has handled himself as president. What do you think that means for the Senate race here, or the president's uh, popularity? Um, I, I don't think necessarily. I think, though, I think the Senate race would be won or lost on its own merits, and I don't think anybody, or at least the Mike Braun folks, can sort of hitch their wagon to the Trump train because there are Not a lot the of the same way that we that, saw yeah, in the primary. Exactly. Yeah. Because you gotta remember because yeah the primary was basically who's the Trumpiest but Trumpster whoever Trump to Trump. <laughs> you know, is basically what all that was. Uh, no, Can I you think, say that three times. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, you know that that's what the challenge is going to be. And also I think it's interesting, those numbers also show something that was similar to Barack Obama, whereas people liked him personally, even though they didn't necessarily agree with his policies. Trump is just the opposite. They like the Trump policies but not this don't necessarily like Trump. Anything else stand out at you there from those numbers? You know, I think what you're seeing, uh, to Elise's point, uh, Elise's point, is that there are non-traditional constituencies like Republican farmers, for instance, who are um, leaning towards supporting um, Joe Donnelly. And we'll see what happens. Indian Democrats need to be very worried about this race. They've been a party in the wilderness for more than a decade now. The one thing they have going for them is Joe Donnelly's seat. If they lose that, where do they go? The one statewide uh, I don't Democrat think we're not right worried. now. We're ready to fight. We're not, but but 
we are definitely watching this and we're going to do our best to make sure we come across the finish line at the end. In a close race, everyone's a little bit worried, a little on <laughs> yeah. edge, no ask, doubt. Ask it's going to be close. <laughs> <laughs> so we had the VP here Friday because of the Senate race. And Adam, you reported in this week's newsletter that Speaker Paul Ryan will also be coming to Indiana later this month as well, taking part in a fundraiser for Congressman Jim Banks, who appeared on our show last week. And Abdul, you wrote about how Banks could really be a rising star in Indiana politics, especially with Luke Messer and Todd Rokita leaving Congress. Right. Luke, Luke Messer was uh, on track had he stayed in office, maybe like the number three spot. Uh, Todd Rakita maybe a little bit less likely to be chairman of the Budget Committee, and that's a lot of clout uh, in the state of Indiana. But since they both decided to, they rolled the dice around for the Senate loss, and now it kind of you know, falls over to Jim Banks, who's sort of really moving up the ranks. And the fact that the Speaker's coming here and he's been given uh, sort of a committee position shows that he may be you know, sort of the new rising up-and-comer in the congressional delegation. Well, our state is important. Uh, perhaps that's why you called your newsletter what you did, <laughs> because, right. I mean, you, you have the president here yeah. recently, the VP, now the Speaker coming later this month. I reached out to the, histo the Indiana historian Ray Boomhauer uh, at the beginning of the week to see if there was any sort of historical precedent for uh, the, the amount of national political figures that we've had in the state in the month of May. And he told me that it would have been in 1907, so 111 wow. years ago this month, uh, when Teddy had. Roosevelt was here visiting his vice president, uh, Fairbanks. That is so. something else. And you still couldn't get a, I can get a cold beer on Sunday. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Something's changed, I guess. All right, at the State House this past week, a special session and a new Senate president pro tem. Republicans in the Senate choosing Senator Rod Bray of Martinsville to replace retiring Senator David Long. As for that brief one-day session, five bills were passed and signed into law by Governor Holcomb, who's now in Europe on a trade mission. The bills passed Monday include millions of dollars for school security, which is, of course, top of mind again after Friday's shooting. Also, a bill that gives control of Muncie schools to Ball State University and a bill that updates the state's tax code, though some Democrats worry the process on some of these bills may have been rushed. I think what's really going to happen is, is as the summer drags along here, we're going to find out really what was in these bills. And I think there's going to be some real Hoosiers scratching their heads saying, how in the world did they pass that? Well, they should contact their local schools to see if they really wanted the school safety bill. They should talk to local taxpayers as to whether they wanted to file two separate tax returns, one federal and one state. Meantime, the same day lawmakers were in session, some big news from the Supreme Court striking down a law banning states from legalizing sports gambling. So will you be able to legally place a, a bet on the Colts here in Indiana one day? Well, changing state law won't happen overnight, but lawmakers are at least studying the possibilities and also the potential ramifications. Whenever we're talking about gaming, there's always going to be opposition and, and people who support it. So uh, I think one of the biggest things that we'll need to do is education on this issue moving forward. Part of our interview there with the state rep who's authored legislation on gambling, that sports betting issue, one of the topics that lawmakers will look at in a summer study committee. Other topics they'll study before next year's session, medical marijuana, hate crimes, and issues with the Department of Child Services. Lawmakers will also continue to review the state's alcohol laws, and they've been tasked with forming a new sexual harassment policy for lawmakers. So obviously a lot of news there at the Statehouse this past week. What's, what stood out to you the most? Well, I think the school safety bill was probably the most important immediate impact. I still question why we had a special session. Uh, they had plenty of time in the regular session to get the job done. It was uh, poor management to, to have to come back. How do Democrats look at this? It, it, Poor management is a good way to put it. And, you know, I was watching, you know, I had live feeds up of both uh, the House Ways and Means, the Senate and the House Chambers that night. And once, it was like, there should have been some like <laughs> Benny Hill music going on behind because I did not know what was happening. It, 
they had the supermajority. They had plenty of time. There wasn't as much controversial stuff on the, on the uh, table as usual. They should have finished their work Quick on time. Quick thought on what you saw at the State House this week. They got done in six hours and 38 minutes from start to finish. That's how long it took. And believe you me, they've gotten done early in the past. They didn't have about a special session every 10 years in, in, the, in, the, in the chain of things. So it's, it's really not all that much to get worried about. All right, real quick, we also have to get to the uh, public health emergency declared this week for hepatitis C here in Marion County. The health director says she wants to develop a needle exchange program in Marion County. She thinks the program would reduce and prevent disease transmission. Uh, that goes before the council tomorrow night. But of course, this, this issue has been a controversial one, in part because Indiana's attorney general has adamantly stood against the idea of needle exchanges. We were averaging about maybe about five cases of acute hepatitis C each year, and then all of a sudden shoot up to over 72. That's considered an, an outbreak and an epidemic related to our acute hepatitis C cases. So our experience has demonstrated that has, it's not been as helpful to the process as many have hoped. And a, a good hard look at that um, would indicate that there are some serious risks of, of approving needle exchanges in various communities. All right, so obviously while this is an ongoing health situation, there's also a lot of politics involved. And Adam, this is something you reported on extensively uh, just a few months ago, this whole debate. Yeah, I spent um, some time with an ER doctor um, at Eskenazi Health who deals with opioid overdoses exclusively. And, you know, she's been lobbying um, everyone she knows to try to get a needle exchange shut up in Marion, Marion County and has had headwinds from the Attorney General's office for that. Uh, but if for no other reason than um, people care about um, their tax dollars, uh, if something like what happened in Scott County were to happen in Marion County, experts say that would cost about a half a billion dollars, which is 50% of the city's budget. Um, so it's a, it's a pressing issue um, that has a lot of uh, potential ramifications for everyone. But it's still an issue that brings a lot of politics as well, uh, no doubt about it. All right, we've got to leave it right there. Coming up next, we're going to talk uh, about the issue of guns, obviously in the news again this past week. Should Indiana have more of a conversation about the topic of guns. We'll discuss that question next. Welcome back. The deadly shooting in Texas has a lot of people thinking about guns and school safety. But how many incidents involving guns in our schools get taken seriously? This week, our Gabby Gonzalez looked into some of the numbers here in Indiana. Dejanae Gilbert remembers the night she witnessed a shooting as she was leaving a basketball game at Lawrence Central. I wasn't expecting all that to happen, so it was like so much going on. There was so many emotions, and so many people were hurt. Her friend's brother was shot that day in 2016. Another student convicted for the crime. We're so young, like, what do you need a gun for? As our Fox 59 investigation found, there were 56 reported incidents of students bringing guns to school last year. 28 of those in Marion County. Each year, school districts are required to send the State Department of Education details about their gun incidents and the consequences students faced. We want to know that they're safe in their environment, that they're protected, and we want to know that the leaders over those children, all our children, are, you know, making the right decisions. Here's the breakdown. 14 gun violations for IPS, four in Warren Township, three over in Washington Township, three in Wayne Township, two in Decatur, one each for Lawrence and Perry Townships. The law does advise that for weapons that are a firearm or a destructive device, that expulsion is the proper route. But records show only 39% of the students involved in gun incidents were expelled. Most were actually suspended. 
We reached out to districts to find out why those decisions are made. Ultimately, when a student is in possession of a firearm on school property, that gun can be traced to them and is subsequently recovered. They're expelled. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. In this district, two of the 14 gun incidents show a student was expelled. The rest were given out-of-school suspensions. IPS spokesperson Carrie Klein-Black says something like a picture of a student with a gun on social media, but no gun found on campus, requires careful review and may not rise to the level of expulsion. Things aren't always so black and white. And at the end of the day, we do want to give our students due process. We're very vigilant in communicating to our student body that this is very serious. Meantime, other districts say factors like a student moving away, being special needs, or finishing the school year through online classes are not reflected in the data. We have 200 some cameras. In Wayne Township, Doug Scheffel is the director of security for the 18 schools in the district of about 16,000 students. We're always in constant radio contact. So out of the three gun violations here last year, two students were expelled. A third was suspended but continued their education through online classes rather than in school. At the ninth grade center, these surveillance cameras keep an eye on kids. We can go back and play it back. And students can send anonymous tips. We can zoom in. That goes straight to Sheffield's phone. When a weapon is found, Scheffel says the action is swift. We obviously immediately want to secure the, the person who we think possibly has that weapon. The district also turns to random searches with IMPD canine officers and handheld metal detectors. Why are you late? But Scheffel says the most important tool... You right? Okay. Is a relationship school resource officers build with the kids. See, look at that. Have a seat. Take care. We're constantly trying to educate the students in telling them that it is okay if they see something to say something. All right, and that was Gabby Gonzalez reporting. By the way, we want to tell you we also have some of this data compiled on our website. You can find it there. Just look for that article online at fox59.com. We are back right after this with a look at this week's winners and losers. Stick around. We'll be right back. All right, time for our panel to choose this week's winners and losers. Adam, who do you got? Uh, Jim Banks um, as, as my winner um, because he is, you know, definitely, as Abdul has pointed out, um, a rising star in the house. Abdul. Uh, two quick winners, uh, Bob Osley, City Council President, for calling for sanity and people to listen because of the uh, police action shooting and the whole Aaron Bailey decision. An actual libertarian, Mark Rutherford, if he actually polls above 10% in the general election, libertarians end up on the primary ballot. Yeah, you look good in that poll, yeah, at least. I think the winners are we've seen another week of primaries around the nation where women um, have uh, swept in their primary bids. That's really encouraging to me. More women running forever uh, than ever is great, but seeing them actually pull through makes them my winner. Bob Bosley is my winner as well. Very much needed calm voice in a difficult situation. All right, we're going to wrap it up here for this week. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. What should we expand on a little bit more here that we didn't get into enough? I mean, all of it we have to move. We had to move through. So well, I fast. think the I think the Muncie school thing has a lot more statewide implications than people think. But I don't mm -hmm. think it is as horrible as some people have said it has said it's been. Because we look at what Ball State's doing, which is a fifty thousand dollars in school supplies, giving teachers and employees a chance to go back to school, uh, all the tuition bonuses and credit, uh, and to really make that school district work. 
Now there's a lot of you know moaning and gnashing of teeth, but I think at right. the end of the day, this is going to be a much better thing for Muncie than people think. And also, this is a wake-up call for the 27 school districts who are like on financial watch list right now. You need to get your crap together and <laughs> figure out what the hell you're doing because the state is not afraid to step in and take care of your business for you if you won't. It is pretty remarkable to see, uh, and we'll just launch into some of these other topics right now from the state house. It's pretty remarkable to see a process that takes either three months or four and a half months take six hours. And I know yeah. it was just five bills, but I mean they had to suspend like all the rules to do it. You know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, but also most of, but most of the stuff had been vetted already. So that's I mean, fair. The, I mean the tax stuff yeah. already had already had hearings already been vetted. But to the, do it you, to do it in six hours, you have to suspend all the rules. And there were some things that some people were worried would get slipped in, didn't necessarily. No, have because the legislative way, the legislative council basically mm -hmm. said no. This is it. No amendments. And I think they were like still afraid from what had happened. They were still had a little bit of shock mm -hmm. from how things have happened and on signy die, the real signy die, and they weren't going to let that happen again. And Governor Holcomb obviously said, "You guys got to get back to work, get, yeah. get get back to the state house and get this done." He signed those bills. Pretty yeah, quickly. and I think also keep in mind too, they would have probably been here anyway for Technical Corrections Day, which would have been the following day. So that's right. why when people get all worked up over they had to spend thirty thousand dollars. Well, they probably would have been here anyway. So you would have spent thirty grand. Regardless, because you still got to, we call those the typo bills. So you got to clean yeah. up all the typos and consistencies. And obviously, one of those bills uh, dealt with school safety, and that is mm -hmm. top of mind again after what happened in Texas on Friday. And so many political um, discussions, obviously, anytime we see something like this happen. Adam, you were just talking about before the show how. Um, the vice president was just speaking at the NRA yeah, uh, just in, just the other week, which was in Texas. Yeah, and he was in Dallas, and um, that you know that sort of makes for an awkward pivot uh, for the vice president to be at such a political you know event for the gun lobby, and then to have to pivot and sort of play you know concealer um, in chief. But Tim, as you point out, sometimes when these things happen. It's still hard to assess uh, a few hours out as we tape this what all of the facts are in this particular situation. What we do know is that this seems to be happening again and again and again. Well, we do know that. It's happening far, with far too much frequency. I think we can all agree on that, yeah. right? We can't agree on much else, but that, that this, these horrific events are happening far too often. Um, you know, I, I don't have a lot of hope that, that we're going to change gun laws. Uh, there's just too much pushback from uh, people who support the Second Amendment, who have very strong feelings about the Second Amendment, to, to get into much change here. But we saw after Parkland something we maybe haven't seen before in terms of young students, uh, potential young voters really mobilizing. Is that going to translate at the polls? Are young students going to become young voters? and speak you know, on this issue. I went out more to than DC they for that rally because I was asked to help chaperone 30 children, which was a task <laughs> Whole in itself. Whole other story. Yeah. Whole other story. But um, I was asked to help take them out just so they could experience um, that rally. Um, after the rally, I feel like I spent the entire bus ride home giving some type of civics lesson. They were engaged, they were sharp. We had, you know, uh, journalists like yourselves calling them, asking, I mean, I wish, I wish that some of the legislators I have worked for could be so on point and could talk like some of these kids spoke about such a complex issue. And I've seen them coming back to our events. We're going to have an event with the uh, Young Dems um, at the start of this next week. And we've had people from those rallies 
start coming to our meetings, which is pretty incredible. You know, it's it's not a reactionary thing. They're here to act and to make change. I'm going to be old and cynical for a moment. Um, 1968 was probably the height of uh, young voter activism in the United States. And who was elected president that year? Richard Nixon. But you also had a third person on the ballot, too. Because remember, George Wallace also ran. And a lot of other things that happened. That I, I don't year, think there were many matter. college students voting for <laughs> yeah, George no, Wallace. Yeah, no, but no, but no, but I think in the sense that it, since you had like you no know, Richard Nixon, Hubert Humphrey, George Wallace, George Wallace pulls off some of those more Southern conservative Democrats, which hurts Hubert Humphrey, which helps get Richard Nixon elected. I, I do think, but you do bring up a valid point. The question is, can they keep the energy? Can they keep the momentum? You know, to go all the way through to November. And one of the things I've been kind of keeping an eye on is. You know, the thousands, look, you know, sort of the, the rallies up in South Bend or at Elkhart for all the people who came out for Donald Trump versus the, you know, the mom's rally, the, the gun rally that we saw down yeah, here at the State House. It's not just kids, it's yeah, 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 it's going to be whose who's rally people show up come. Where is the no, more yeah, enthusiasm? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, you know, when you, look at, when you look at Indiana this year specifically and some of the poll numbers we talked about earlier, uh, what do you see this far out? It's too hard to tell wh which direction this thing is going to go, but obviously uh, the way those poll numbers read now, it, it sort of suggests to you this could still go either direction. Yeah, I think what I'm watching too, um, and it's been t pointed out already as well in the local media, but what is the enthusiasm going to be for both Donnelly and Braun? Um, there's a sense that you know their base might not turn out uh, this November, that, that Braun is you know, having been a Democrat for so long is not really going to energize um, Republicans, and that Donnelly, um, you know, having just voted to confirm uh, Gina Haspel at CIA, is sort of really um, pushing off a lot of young progressive uh, voters. And we talked to him about that in our in our interview that aired this week about that decision to uh, vote for Haspel's confirmation and and this notion that. Uh, he's had to make votes like that for political reasons. Mike Braun, oddly enough, was someone who sort of called him out on that earlier this week. Donnelly's in a tough place on some of those votes in D.C. He really is. And, but when it comes down to it, I think for our party, I mean, for those of you here, I know this is on a, uh, there, you can't see listeners, but raise your hand <laughs> if you agree with your partner 100% of the time. Uh, right. <laughs> nice try, Adam. I hope your wife's listening. Um, but they are the person you pick because you know that they're the best person for the job. Yeah. yeah. I'm so glad, actually, that we weren't on camera for that. Yeah. For that reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, my, wife agrees, my wife agrees with me all the time. Yeah. Oh, oh, I see. I see. One thing I will say that some people in my particular party may be frustrated with me about, and I say it all the time, is I hate the term blue wave. The, hmm. This polling, this discussion that we're having, we have to do work. Blue wave for, for me has this like air of entitlement that something's just going to happen. Inevitability. Nothing, yeah. It, yeah. nothing is inevitable. We know Shades that in 2016. Indiana. Yeah. Um, you know, nothing's there are inevitable. primaries that are flipping seats everywhere across the nation. It's not necessarily expected to you know, always happen here. We have very moderate voters and we have to work for their vote. I think that's absolutely right, and I, I think, you know, look at what Indiana Democrats are not realistically planning to pick up any House seats. I mean, let's just be honest, right? 
<laughs> what they're fighting is to hold on to a Unless center there's seat. said wave that at least... Yeah, but if it reaches... But there's, it no, there, it, which there's we no are. signs of it that it's going to yeah. reach but, Indiana. Right. Well, no, but, but I, do think there, I do think there's a potential for something I'm working on. I call it when the blue wave meets the red wall. The question is, can the Democratic... <laughs> right, energy that blue wall right, in 16. Right, right because right, can yeah. the Democratic energy and enthusiasm meet the Republican organization and everything they're doing structurally... Uh, to, to build up their base here in Indiana. And I don't think necessarily, for example, the congressional districts, that's not necessarily about whether people can win the second, the third, or the ninth, or even the sixth or the fourth. It's do you have quality candidates on the ground that will drive out turnout? Because yeah. those people can act as surrogates that's for for Joe Donnelly. And I think right. and I think those because for the first for example, for the first time in Hamilton Good County, point. Democrats have some everybody on the ballot for a statewide office. Right. It's not a blue wave if all you do is hold on to a seat you already have. Well, no, but it, but, right. it is, but it is a blue wave in the sense that it helps mitigate what might be coming to, to help beat Mike Braun. I do think it does, I think that does help. Yes. Yeah. To it's add to this point, though, though um, I think it's interesting. Uh, Lindsay Erdity with uh, the IBJ in her newsletter today made the point that Republicans nationally have had someone in Indiana since last summer. Um, Democrats right now have one staffer in the entire state in Indianapolis, and that's it. Well, to your point about uh, newsletters, there are many great ones. You've got one. You've got one. The Star has we, a political we have newsletter as well. Newsletters, <laughs> Subscribe yes. to all of them because you get a lot of great information out there about politics. Great to have all of you guys here for our podcast. Any final thoughts before we go? All right, I think we covered it all somehow because there was a lot of news this week yet again. We'll see you next week right here in Focus.